Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We come before you with distractions. We come before you with worries. We come before you with frustrations. And we want to lay those at your feet, Lord. We come and worship you, and you understand our human emotions because you had them too, Lord, on earth. You had frustrations and griefs and disappointments. And so, Lord, as our high priest, we just come to you and and put those in your hands so that we can hear what you want to speak to us this morning. May our ears be open in a subject as we come into Malachi chapter 3 on giving that is hard for us. Lord, we just pray that you would speak into the heart of each person here what you want them to hear. And so, Lord, may we come with hearts open and cares laid aside and put into your hands and trusting in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A family was returning home after church and they were complaining about the church service. Dad criticized the sermon. Mom didn't like the song selection of the worship leader. The teenage son said, church is too long. Then the six-year-old girl piped up and said, Daddy, you didn't think it was worth the dollar you put into that basket? (laughs) We come to a crucial area, as I prayed in our spiritual life, giving. It's a sensitive area. We feel protective about giving. If someone yells out the word thief, we grab for our wallet. If someone yells out the word fire, we run for the exit. If someone yells out the word tithe, we grab our wallet and run for the exit. (laughs) One One reason that people cite for not coming to church in surveys is that churches are always asking for money. You ever hear that one? But did you know that uh, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible on money and wealth and possessions? It's a rather common theme. In fact, the Bible says giving is a thermometer of our spiritual life. So our message today is what gives? So let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. We'll start. Ever since the time of your ancestors, this is God again speaking to the people through Malachi the prophet, ever ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God answers, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God's answer, in tithes and offering. So God is charging them with robbery, holding back what God has asked us to give and to share is a way of stealing from God, is what Malachi is saying. Besides, if we really look at the principles of giving, it says at the heart of giving In Psalm 24, it says that God owns it all. He owns everything on earth. He owns all of who we are, our health, our life, our possessions, our house, our cars, our computers, our televisions, our very lives. Every possession that we have, our bank accounts, all of it, 
God owns it all. And that's at the heart of giving. When you look at the overall New Testament principles, it starts with God owns it all in Psalm 24, and we are his managers. So that's the central idea. Do you believe that? Do you believe God owns all of who you are and all that you own and you possess? It's not like, you know, I'll I'll give God my little tip, but he owns it and he just gave it to you to manage and you're to seek him for what to do with that. Now, we have this word in here of tithes. Will a mortal man rob God? And he says in tithes and offerings. Tithe literally is just a word for tenth. It's just his 10%. The Old Testament Jew gave 10% of the first fruits, the produce of the land. But you know, on top of that, they also had animal sacrifices. They had grain offerings. They had peace offerings. They had these drink offerings and all kinds of things that they poured out. And by one estimate, the average Israelite gave 25% or more of their income to God. So it was more than just 10%. Now, why? Why did they have to keep giving all these things? Well, their whole system of worship built on sacrifices, um, that required a lot of work. It required a lot of labor to manage the animals and and the sacrifices and offer them in the proper way. And then they would, some of them were burned up completely, some were given, and they became the support. And all of these offerings, as well as the tithe, were the support of the Levites and the priests for the temple. So for their worship system to continue, they had to have these support ways, and they weren't happening. The problem was the people had stopped bringing the prescribed amounts into the temple. So now the priests and Levites have to turn to some other way to make a living. Remember, Levites couldn't own land, so they didn't have a farm to go back to. So they had to find some other way to support themselves. And so temple worship was compromised. It was suffering. So what gives? God begs them to return. And just to show how blind they were, their answer was, well, how? I mean, lots of other things have been mentioned so far in Malachi, but they don't get it. They don't see, how are we not with you? How have we turned away from you, God? And so one of those things he cites right after that question is their tithe. Their tithes and offerings. They don't even see it. They think their spiritual life is good enough. You know, we're bringing some animals. Okay, they're blemished. They're the crippled. They're the leftovers, the throwaways. But we're bringing something, and they just don't see it. They think if they give outwardly, it's good enough. So God knows, though, how we give our material possessions reflects our heart. And it wasn't just, well, gosh, God's wringing his hands. Oh, no, what do I do with the Levites and the priests? But he's saying, this is a worship issue. You're not giving out of your true heart. And in fact, Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So number one point on your outline, if you're following along in the bulletin, giving reflects our heart for God. Giving reflects our heart for God. If you want to measure how devoted am I, the Bible says in many places, look at how you give and why you give and what it feels like when you give. What is your heart for giving? Does it reflect God? Because both Jesus and Matthew and Malachi are saying, yes, how you give 
And what you give reflects your heart for God. So where's your treasure? As Matthew asked, there your treasure will be is where your heart is. Where's your heart? Because if you ask that of your question, that question of your heart, you might learn some stuff that God wants to speak to you this morning. There was a Christian businessman on a mission trip to South Korea, and he was walking along. And uh, during this time, he you know noticed these guys pulling a plow by hand, you know, just a, a primitive kind of plow, and it kind of keep piqued his curiosity, and, and so he took a picture of the scene, and he says to this guy, just, wow, the, I mean, these guys must really be poor. And the guide says, well, you know, these, these are farmers who are Christians, and when their church was being built, they were eager to give something toward the building of the church, but they didn't have any money, so they decided to sell the only ox that they owned. And the businessman was blown away and going, oh my gosh, what a magnificent sacrifice that must have been for them. And, and their guide answered and he said, no, they didn't see it that way. They considered themselves fortunate that they had an ox to sell. So when the businessman went home, he talked to his pastor and he showed him the picture. And he said to him, I'm ready to do some plow work. See, until now, he said, I have not given a sacrifice. I just give out of my surplus. So are you ready to give a sacrifice? Are you ready to do some plow work for Jesus with your life? Because that's what Malachi is talking about in this section. Giving reflects our heart for God. Then verse 9 of Malachi 3, God goes on and says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So the consequences of not sharing God's resources for them is a curse. God's saying that that I'm going to send famine, I'm going to send pestilence, I'm going to send things that that bring you back to me because you're going to find how needy you really are. And so God says, you quit giving, then your herds and your crops will suffer. If you don't give it your 10% and the, and the rest of it, then God will find a way to drain at least that amount away. Some suggest that happens to us today. If, you know, in this, I'm going to quote an author named Malcolm McGregor. But, you know, he says that there are people who are convinced that if we don't give the tithe, that God will give it, take it away in some other way. You might, your refrigerator might die. Maybe that's why our refrigerator died. <laughs> You'll have car repairs some extra health things. I don't know, but God is saying there is a direct, for them in the Old Testament, and remember, it's Old Testament, so it's the principles will be a little different in the New, but there's a direct correlation. When you give to God, then he's going to bless you. When you don't, then there's going to be consequences, and that's what God is saying. So the New Testament does not command a tithe. You can look all over in the New Testament. You aren't going to find a tithe, and so some debate because the original occurrence of the word tithe was with Melchizedek in Genesis before the law, and they say, see, it's a timeless principle. You can decide, but here's what the New Testament says, at least one of the places in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Here's a principle. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each man 
should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this same dynamic of reaping and sowing, at least in a general principle, is at work in the New Testament also, not just in the Old. It's, you're not commanded to give a tithe. It's a free will offering, not compulsion, but what you decide in your heart, and God loves it when you feel great about that. It's a reaping, sowing. What you reap, you will sow. Now, that doesn't mean and guarantee, wow, so if I give God half of all of my possessions, he will multiply that and double it. Now, that's great investment, right? A 50% return, doubling my money. That's a 100% return. That's not what it's saying, by the way, and we'll get a little bit to that. But it's a reaping, sowing principle. There's a pastor in L.A., Los Angeles area named Erwin McManus has a multicultural church kind of right near downtown. And, and so it's called Mosaic because it's you know, lots of different people from different cultures. But this one man came to him and he asked him kind of in this bit of a hostile tone, is this one of those churches that believes in a tithe? Erwin answered him, oh no, sir, we live under God's grace. We would never limit you to only 10%. <laughs> but you know, doesn't that kind of capture really what it's supposed to be about? Shouldn't we not like, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they had to give 10%. But gang, we're under the age of grace. God has blessed us beyond measure. Shouldn't our giving reflect that? It's done as a free will, but it's an expression of the depth of our relationship with God. It's an act of worship. But see, here's the problem, is that the amount that the average evangelical Christian feels cheerful about giving is way less than 10%. Do you know in the Great Depression, in the 30s, that's the 1930s girls, not the 1830s, so. You know, half, uh, one, I think employment was over one-third. People had nothing. The giving of the church people in that era was 5%. The giving of evangelicals, at least a few decades ago, 2.5%. What does that say? And in some surveys, it was a little lower. So we can't even give what our forefathers, who went through the worst time in our country of economic depression, and we're not even giving half of what they gave. A man tells this story. He says, when I was in second grade, my school had this gift shop, and they, the, you know, this was like at Christmas time, and so they would give them a, a gift catalog that they could take home and study and go and buy presents for their parents, you know, because kids have a hard time getting to the store and, and such. And so they provided this kind of as a fundraiser for the school. So they have this gift shop for gifts for their parents. And so he, this guy studies it, says, I picked out the perfect gift for my parents. So I went into that gift shop with the best of intentions. I came out with a sack full of stuff for myself. And he said, all I have left for my dad is I had a little bit left, and my leftovers, I bought him this little set of screwdrivers that were about an inch big. I gave a little bit because I gave it all for myself. I felt guilty, he said, that I had shorted my dad. It was an afterthought. 
He said, but what really stung was that my dad took those screwdrivers and hung them from the rearview mirror of his pickup truck and proudly displayed them for years. He said, they were a monument and a reminder to my selfishness every time I looked at them. And he goes on, he says, in one sense, God is like my father because he's always thrilled by my gifts, however meager, as long as he knows they were given from the heart. In another sense, God is quite different from my dad because he knows when I give from a selfish heart. He knows when my gift is an afterthought and it grieves him. So in other words, he closes, God is concerned less with the gift than with the attitude of the giver, especially when I give so reluctantly out of my surplus. So number two on your outline, lack of generosity reaps sparing blessing. A lack of generosity will reap a sparing blessing. You reap what you sow. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if we can see giving as an overflow, as an outflow of our relationship with God, then we're going to share our resources a whole lot more generously, aren't we, when we're feeling God's care and, and love and protection and provision? God will send the sun and the rain to make the land fertile for them, but what will he, how will he bless us? It's amazing how this attitude of giving frees us. So what's your attitude toward giving this morning? Does giving reflect your heart of worship for God? Is it a duty you'd rather avoid or a blessing that deepens your worship of God? So what gives? Lack of generosity reaps sparing blessing, but giving reflects our heart for God. So Malachi 3, moving on, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So what God is saying to them, if you will bring in the whole tithe, then I will open up the floodgates of heaven. You bring in the tithe, you do your offerings, you bring in your sacrifices, not lame and crippled and blind and defective, but bring in all of it and just trust me to provide for you. And I will open up the floodgates of heaven and there will be so much blessing that the limitation will be how much storehouses you have to put all the grain and all of the grapes and all the things that you have grown. So God sends the sun and the rain to make their fields productive and he'll keep the pests from devouring the crops. He'll keep drought from making the grapes fall off the vine because they don't have enough water. Many, though, have since misused these verses. They're saying, so all I have to do is give to God and like I said earlier, he'll double my money, right? And so this whole thing that uh, John Piper says, Uh, The worst thing that America has exported to the rest of the world, well, one of the bad things at least, is this whole attitude of the prosperity gospel. That if we give to God, he's going to give us material blessings. And so it's like, and you can see it on TV every 
Sunday morning or other mornings too, where if I just give to God, I'll get all the blessings. And the whole focus is off. The whole focus is on what I get. It's not on worshiping God. And so the idea is I give to God and I trust him to sustain me, not to make me rich, but to connect me with him. And then he will meet my needs, not my wants, my needs. So they get misused, these verses do. And then we have to ask, well, does God operate that same way today? And so you have to ask yourself in this, if you reap what you sow, it doesn't mean it's all material blessings. It's talking about your spiritual connection and the freedom in your heart and your attitude of how you live your life doesn't worry about possessions. You just worry about being close to God. Verse 12 goes on and says, Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> so surrounding nations call them the delightful land. So why? Because they see God's blessing. They see how God, when they, people worship him with their whole hearts and they do as he commanded, that he pours out his blessing on them and they notice it. In fact, it's not just material blessings. We have a whole theme in the Old Testament when they trust God and don't go running around for political alliances and trust God to protect them, that they're also safe. They don't have to have an early warning system. All they need is to trust God. And he will sustain them. He will protect them. They will be called the delightful land. Do we want to be called the delightful land at Chewila Church? the place where God is, the place where you can come even with all of your problems and your hurts and habits and hangups that that need to get worked on, but you come here because you know God is here and you'll be loved and cared for as you're healed and brought to a different place in your walk in life. So do we want to be a delightful land, trusting in God? God promises as I mentioned in the New Testament, I, the, my Lord shall supply all your needs. Of course, as Westerners, we've sure got that thing on what a need is confused, don't we? A lot of things that we think are needs really are wants. When we look in that Sermon on the Mount, we find that God says, I will provide for you, you know, your food and your clothing. I have a, a mentor who goes, you know, he never mentioned in that with the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, shelter. Jesus didn't have a shelter. Now, I don't know what you want to do with that one if you're not supposed to live in a cardboard box under the freeway or whatever. I guess there's not a freeway to live under here, but, you know, somewhere that isn't a house, and that sounds really insecure. But the point is is that God doesn't say, I'm going to give you this incredible amount of money that you will never have to worry again. Now, there are some of us, some of you, not me, that God has... That's what he does. He blesses you that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we seek God and say, God, I will give my 10%, so you sure better give me all the things I want. I need the latest computer. I need the latest, you know, stuff, car, or whatever. Again, nothing wrong with a new car. But when we think that God's supposed to give that to us, or do we trust him? to realign our priorities as we focus on him. And then we feel like I'm happy with or without the car. So we give in faith that God will take care of us. So point number three, generous giving brings God's blessing. 
God owns it all. So our giving reflects our heart for God. We reap what we sow. If we lack generosity, we'll reap sparing blessing. But generous giving will bring God's blessing. There's a guy I mentioned earlier, author Malcolm McGregor. And he's written a book on money and did a lot of seminars. And uh, when I was a pastor of Christian education in Southern California, so it's been some a few decades ago, but Malcolm did seminars. And so he said to people that, you know, he believed the tithe principle was still working. And so he would say to people, if you will begin tithing, if you have not been tithing and you will begin tithing, and then you trust God to sustain you, you trust God that if I give that 10%, I haven't been given it, will you trust God to take care of you and that you'll still be able to pay your bills? And he says, so, I believe God, I believe so strongly, Malcolm says, that God will sustain you. That, that's not Malcolm, I don't think. Well, maybe it is. No, nope. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the pictures of which guys. That, that's coming up. That's Randy Alcorn. Anyway, Malcolm McGregor says, if you begin tithing and God will trust God, he says, and if you don't, aren't able to pay your bills, but you have not changed any of your other spending, all that you've done is you started tithing, send your bills to me and I'll pay them. Can you imagine telling people that? He said, in 20 years of giving this seminar, I've never had to pay a bill. Imagine. So I came close a couple of times, I thought. But he says, I believe so strongly that if you give to God his part, which he believed was at least 10%, then God will take care of you. He's that convinced. So are you willing to take a tithing challenge, if you want to call it that, or just a giving challenge that what God has put into your heart that he wants you to give, and you'll start giving that to him, and then you'll trust him to provide for you. Are you willing to do that? Now, I'm not saying it all has to come to Chihuahua Church. You may be thinking, wow, this is pretty, you know, you're going to benefit from this, right? But, you know, you decide where that goes. You decide what God wants you to do. It just says, give, 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 trust me and give. So in your life, what gives? Now, Randy Alcorn, the picture of the guy we had up there. There he is. So Randy Alcorn, which is written, he's written several books. One of my favorites is Heaven. But he he began a ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries. And it owns all of his books that Randy writes. His wife works as a secretary. And Randy, at the time of this illustration, lived on a minimum wage. He had a job, but he just collected minimum wage. And so, but he wrote all these books. And so but he didn't own them, this eternal perspective ministries did. So he explains, he says, something interesting happened. Suddenly my books were on the bestseller lists. Royalties increased. Our ministry was able to give away all those royalties to missions and famine relief. In the past three years, he said, by God's grace, the ministry has given away a half a million dollars. Sometimes I think God sells the books just to raise funds for ministries close to his heart. And he said, I don't go to bed at night wishing somehow I could get my hands on that money. I go to bed feeling joy because there's nothing like giving. Do you feel that when you give? 
Do you feel that joy? Do you hear in that story the release, the freedom, that you sow what you reap, and what you reap is a peace and a happiness and a connection to God. It's not some promise of prosperity that's an investment scheme. You end up with the peace and a joy because you get to watch how God uses your money to advance his kingdom. So when you give, you are investing in God's kingdom. That's the key idea here. So what's, what's your giving like for you and God? How does it affect your heart? For me, I think 10% in the spirit of Erwin McManus, 10% is a starting point. It's our baseline. It's not our, our limit. I have to give that much. It's like, you know, that's sort of the starting point. And then look around for needs that God brings across your path, mission agencies and people that, that need something. And so it's a starting point. So Malachi's principle is that our giving reflects the depth of our relationship with God. So I encourage you to seek God in prayer. I encourage you to ask him to guide you in the spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. So Lord, again, it's just a hard point for us. We feel so protective and feel like People shouldn't be meddling in our life and telling us about what to do with our money and our possessions. And Lord, as testified in all the surveys of those who don't come to church, who say all that churches want is our money. Lord, may we rise above that and not say we want your money so we can be rich. We want, Lord, to just do what you want us to do with the resources you give us. That, Lord, you have blessed this church. We're sitting in the midst of one of your huge blessings. So what do you want us to do, Lord, with the money that we have, both as individuals and as a church? Show us that. Show us how we can give and be free of materialism, free of thinking and worrying about money all the time, but we give to you and trust you to take care of us, not only individually, but as a church. As we imagine, how are we going to, to change this community? How are we going to change the world? And so, Lord, give us that eternal, external focus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.